Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. So today is our second week where our theme is extravagant generosity. And in case you were not here or tuned in last week, we're in the midst of a four-week series on the connection between faith and money in our life. And I just want to acknowledge that this is a hard conversation because there's nothing inside of us that naturally wants to give our money away. Whenever I was a young child, I still have a vivid memory of saving my first hundred dollars. I was so very proud of myself. And I also remember the first thing I purchased. It was a $30 safe to secure that $70 fortune I had left. I was a finance major at the University of Texas. I've always loved money. Whenever I was eight years old, my mom borrowed a $5 bill. She then tried to return it the next day, and I asked her to keep it until she brought back the interest on the loan. And I'm still that kid. I still relate to money in that instinctual, I want more of it way. And so please trust me when I say, I know this is a very hard conversation to have. Because in our culture, money is not just a status symbol, it is a commodity that makes us feel safe and like we are in control of our life. There is an old joke about a Sunday school teacher that asks her kids, do you know where little boys go when they don't put money in the collection plate? Yes, ma'am, a boy blurted out. They go to the movies. And I think that really sums it up, right? We have been trained to believe that if we give more, we will, in fact, live less. That too much generosity will cost us the freedom and the peace and the abundant life that we all so desperately want. And so a big part of what I'd like to do today is really challenge that assumption, And so let me start with a foundational assertion. You and I have been exposed to two radically different views of what abundant life is and how that life is attained. There is the view that we all inherit from the culture, which would say that abundant life is about growing in the experience of ease and convenience and pursuing wealth, and clutching for more and more and more. And then there is Jesus' view, which we have in today's gospel, which says that only as we let go, only whenever we're willing to lose something, to give it away, to give ourselves away, only then do we experience the abundant life that Jesus promises, and that Jesus came to give us. And the problem I have 
with our culture's view of abundant life is that by definition, we never have enough. And this, of course, is what today's reading from the book of Amos is attempting to say. Now, Amos was a prophet, and he had many, many skills, but pastoral empathetic sensitivity was not among those skills. Because Amos had a very unflattering nickname for the Israelites who failed to understand the generosity of God, he called them the cows of Bashan. And it recently occurred to me why he chose this name. A cow is literally a walking appetite, an eating machine. In fact, a cow has four stomachs. They are never full, and they are always looking for more. And so cows don't always know when to stop. They don't know when they've had enough. And the Israelites that Amos criticized today, they also did not know when to say enough. And the world that we live in, where abundant life is assumed to be found in pursuing more and more and more, it also has a hard time saying enough. And in my experience, we all feel that. I call it trickle-down insecurity. We never feel good enough, or perfect enough, or thin enough, or rich enough, or powerful enough. We're never successful enough, or smart enough, and God knows we never feel safe enough because this world we live in, it never says enough. In her book, The Soul of Money, author Lynn Twist puts it like this, and I quote, For many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I didn't have enough time whether true or not, the thought of not enough occurs to us automatically. We spend most our lives complaining or worrying about what we don't have enough of before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor. We're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. End quote. So let me tell you what I think I've learned in my 12 or 13 years as an Episcopal priest. I believe that the deepest question of the human heart is captured in three words. Am I enough? And if we conclude that we are not enough, as we all do from time to time, the very next question we ask is, what do I have to do, or possess, or achieve, or say, for you to think that I am enough? And what's so seductive about money is that it will look you straight in the eye, and it will announce, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. Pursue me, and I will make you feel safe. I'll make you feel successful. I'll make you feel powerful. Pursue me and I will make you feel like you are enough. But of course, it never works out, does it? 
And that is something we all know to be true. And so whenever we're talking about extravagant generosity here at St. Michael's Episcopal Church, what we're really talking about is how to tap into a life of freedom whereby we increase our capacity to not play that game. To trust that in Christ, we are already more than enough by virtue of God's love and our baptism, and to trust that we experience our enoughness most poignantly, not as we clutch and accrue and pursue and get and acquire, but as we increase our capacity to give and to be generous. And so an illustration of what this looks like that I offer from time to time, I want you to take your right hand and hold it out, palm up, and I want you to imagine that someone is placing all sorts of great riches in that hand, whatever you want. It can be a week in Hawaii, a promotion at work, the experience of falling in love or early retirement or better health or a million dollars. Whatever it is you want, life has just placed it in your hand. Consider, there are only two ways that you and I can respond to whatever God in life places in our palm. We can clutch, fearful that there's not enough to share, or that you might try to steal whatever's in my palm. But notice, in clutching and closing our hand, we are at the same time closing ourselves off from the possibility that God might place something new and wonderful in that hand, right? Whenever the hand is closed, nothing else can get in. Or, we can live our lives with hearts wide open and with palms wide open, rejoicing and giving thanks and being grateful when something new and wonderful is placed in our hand, but not at all surprised or mad or feeling like a victim when life takes things out of our hand. Extravagant generosity is about increasing our capacity to live our lives with palms wide open. We appreciate and we give thanks for the many blessings in our life, but we don't clutch and we increase our capacity to both give and receive and the knowledge that a closed hand cannot do either. And so here's the question I want you to pray through this week. Where is God inviting you to live your life with palms wide open. In other words, where is it that you need to stop clutching? And where specifically is God asking you to be generous? And so as you ponder that question, I'm going to end my sermon today with a parable. I believe it was written by Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard. And this parable brings to light some of what I hope to communicate in my sermon today. It starts with a certain flock of geese, and these geese all live together in a barnyard with very high walls around it. Because the corn was good and the barnyard was secure, these geese lived a stable life, but they never took a risk. But one day, a very wise philosopher goose came among them, 
And so every week they listened quietly and attentively to what he had to say. My fellow geese, he would preach. Can you seriously imagine that this barnyard with the great high walls around it is all there is to our existence? No, for I tell you, there is a greater world outside, a world of which we are only dimly aware. But alas, here we remain in this barnyard, our wings folded, content to puddle in the mud, never lifting our eyes to the heavens, which should be our home. Now, these geese thought that this was very fine lecturing. How poetical, they thought. How profoundly existential. And so often the philosopher would speak of the advantage of flight, calling on these geese to be what they were. After all, they had wings. And what were wings for but to fly with? And week after week, the geese were uplifted, inspired, and moved by the philosopher's message. They even hung on his every word. They devoted hours, weeks, months to a thorough analysis of his doctrines. All this they did, but one thing they never did. They did not fly, for the corn was good and the barnyard was secure. Trust me when I say that I know in my own life how tempting and easy it is to stay in the barnyard. But I also know that God created us to fly here and now as we grow in a life of generosity and that freedom and peace and above all else, abundant life are found not as we gain more and more and more, but rather as we learn to give more of our life away. Amen.